today on Lockdown Los Angeles Kings. The Kings come out flat against the Arizona Coyotes, just like we all expected. We break it down on today's episode of Locked On Los Angeles Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. are listening to Locked On Los Angeles Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Sarah Avampato, your host and managing editor of Jewels from the Crown, and we're bringing you a little bit of a later show. We'll just switch it up. We'll make things a little different. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I might have fallen asleep during that game last night because it was bad and not entirely worth my time to force myself to stay awake. If you didn't see the game, that that's exactly how it was. It was not a particularly great night for the Los Angeles Kings. So last night, the Kings took on the Arizona Coyotes in a weird little one-game bloop of a road trip as they went up to Arizona to play. And uh, the game went about as well as I thought it would have gone. Not going to say that I predicted this one, but definitely predicted this one that the Kings, after putting together a pretty strong stretch of three games, again, not necessarily against three good teams, Vegas maybe, maybe not excluded. No one's really certain what Vegas actually is doing this season. But, you know, three wins are three wins. Give you some confidence, give you some oomph out on the ice to, you know, think that like, yeah, you can do this. You can put together a winning streak and play a solid 60-minute game. All that fell apart against the Coyotes. The Kings came out flat pretty much at the beginning of the game and things did not get better from there. Although they ended up out shooting the Coyotes by the end of it, uh, they certainly were not leading anything in the first period. Coyotes outshot them 16 to 3 and scored twice in that opening frame. Final score was, of course, 3 to nothing in favor of Arizona. Kings did get better as the game went on, but it was better in a way that was kind of meaningless because the shots that they were getting were not particularly dangerous. Auntie Ranta in goal for the Coyotes didn't look like he had to struggle a whole ton to make any saves. The Kings were getting um, a bunch of shots from sort of the front of the net, but really the bulk of them came from back near the blue line um, or the tops of the circles. So not particularly dangerous work from the Kings. So the three goals against the first one came just three minutes and 12 seconds into the game. Connor Garland was the eventual goal scorer and he really did all the hard work on that play. Takes the puck basically the whole way around and constantly beats Matt Roy, who is the one that is chasing him. He beats Roy in the corner. He evades him pretty much the whole, every step of the way. Uh, When Garland wins the puck battle in the corner, hurls the puck from the boards to center ice, and Christian Dvorak is there, gets a stick on it. His shot goes wide because he's kind of tripped up falling to the ice as he shoots. But Connor Garland did exactly what you're supposed to do. And he made that pass. And then he went directly to the net. I don't know, that seems like a pretty good strategy. And that's what he did. He went from the boards to the net front. And then boom, Dvorak's shot that went wide ends up right on Garland's stick. Easy goal for Connor Garland. Second goal against came on the power play for the Coyotes at 14 minutes and 48 seconds into the first period. This one was from Derek Stepan was the goal scorer. And on that power play, 
I mean, I feel like if you want to study puck movement or study how to make something out of nothing out of a broken play, you should watch this power play from the Coyotes because there's some just some great puck movement. They they initially get the puck to Phil Kessel looking for sort of a one-timer, but Kessel misses the shot and goes down on his knees. And they so what do they do? They, they get the puck. They start the cycle again. They regroup. Players all move around. The puck gets back to, to Kessel who passes it to Stepan, who's in front of the net and who has an easy goal right there for him. So some good movement, some thinking on their feet from the Coyotes who are able to regroup after a play got broken. By contrast, the Kings are just all over the place, which is the point of a penalty kill that you are forced to keep moving. But there was no sense of flow. There was no structure to what they were doing. And I feel like most importantly, there was no aggression. No one was pressuring the puck carrier at really any point in time time and players were kind of missing their marks. I feel like I think it was maybe Toffoli who was sort of on Phil Kessel, who was way late to react once Kessel missed his shot. Jeff Carter was in there at one point kind of covering someone but not really committing. It was just not a great penalty kill overall from the Kings who really struggled to show any sort of aggression or jump or anything in that sequence. So two nothing Coyotes at the end of the first period. Second period, more penalty bonanzas and Coyotes score again. This time it's Jake Chitron with the eventual goal. His shot goes in pretty much from the circles and Connor Garland again with the pass to get the puck to Chitron in the first place. Campbell's a little bit out of position, looked like he was kind of biting more on someone else taking the shot instead of Chitron. But Garland is definitely becoming one of those players who you're like, man, sure wish that kid was on my team. He is just in this game, really fantastic to watch in the corners, really smart with his puck movements, just overall really delightful and did a lot of hard work for the Coyotes last night. Garland finished the game with two points, one goal and one assist, just two shots on goal from him. Phil Kessel and Derek Stepan both led with four shots on goal each. Kessel's just having kind of a kind of a rough year. Uh, he's not quite shooting or scoring at the pace that he usually is expected to, but is still kind of instrumental, especially on that power play. Derek Stepan, someone who also needed to kind of heat up, and now he has two goals in his last two games. So all the Coyotes players that needed to get hot are getting hot at the exact right time. So once again, it was special teams being kind of the story of the game as the Kings really struggled on that. Over the course of the game, the Kings had four power plays, eight total shots. None of them obviously went in. They also had two shorthanded chances. Coyotes got five shots on four power plays total, two goals from the Coyotes came on the power play. Prior to this game, the Coyotes had scored once in 26 prior power plays. They were certainly looking to get off of that streak. And you're welcome, Arizona. We helped you out with that one. Now, the Kings just overall really struggled to get any momentum. It looked like they were looking for shots and not just taking shots just not a lot of great work from them. They really just didn't look prepared for the team that they faced. Uh, They had just played a couple of teams that were overall a little slower, a little less skilled, uh, a little less tenacious than the Coyotes are, and that really seemed to bite them. And by the time they learned how to adjust their game to line up with the Coyotes' style, they it was too late. It was too late. They were already in a very large hole. Um, Antiranta, of course, got the shutout for Arizona. 
he has now shut out the Kings three times with all three teams he's played on. Once with the Rangers, once with the Coyotes now, and then once with the Blackhawks when he was with them. Ronta's first career shutout actually came with the Blackhawks against the Kings back on December 30th, 2013. His first career shutout at home in Chicago at the United Center stopped all 26 shots that he faced. So, I mean, I had expected Darcy Kemper to start this game, but as soon as I saw Auntie Ronta, I was even more kind of doubly convinced that the Kings were not going to come out of this one well because he has traditionally done pretty well against the Kings. So a great night for Auntie Ranta and the Arizona Coyotes, but not so great for uh, the Kings, at least. Todd McClellan talked about special teams after the game, and he said that the Kings had tried to prepare for the quickness and the tenacity of the Coyotes, but it turned out they weren't ready for it. And it led to the Kings taking a lot of penalties because they weren't able to keep up with the Coyotes. It led to the penalty kill having to do a lot of work, and they just could not keep up there either. McClellan says they were on top of us. They were quicker than we we were. They took any type of passing routes away from us. And so give them credit. We've got to learn a lesson that we better be up to speed right off the bat. I mean, that's the immortal lesson of the Los Angeles Kings who have come out slow to start basically always. And I don't know how you fix that. Doesn't seem to matter what coach they have. It doesn't seem to matter what players they have. They're always just like incredibly slow to start any game. And as soon as another team is a little bit speedier or a little bit more aggressive, the Kings just have no idea what to do about it and then fall behind and then have to try to dig themselves out of it. Uh, McClellan talked about sort of the issue of moral victories, which is, you know, important when you're working with a team that is rebuilding, that has a mixture of players who have never experienced professional or NHL hockey before. But eventually the satisfaction of a moral victory of we played well and pushed them hard, but just didn't come away with the win. Eventually that goes away. And the Kings are far enough into the season now that those excuses or that sort of uh, feeling is going to mean a lot less. You know, 20 games is sort of the poll that a lot of people use. Um, I remember, I believe it was the 2014-2015 season when Brad Richards was playing for the Chicago Blackhawks and he kind of got bumped up and down the lineup and got moved around a lot and wasn't really playing in the role that he had expected to be playing in. And he made a comment that basically said, you need about 25 games or so to really settle in with a team, to settle in with your line mates and to kind of start to gel as a group. And that has always kind of stuck with me because of just seeing that player's perspective on the fact that you need stability, you need time, results aren't going to come right away. And lo and behold, after about those 20-25 games or so from him, once he started getting a more stable point in a lineup, once he started playing more regular minutes, and you know, lo and behold, though, if you watch a team or if you see a player who's new to a team, um, you know, after the trade deadline or something like that, that for most players, it really is going to take that kind of 20-25 games to really settle in, to really kind of find their place in the lineup, to understand how their teammates work. And so we're getting to that point in the season where the Kings have played enough games together. The lines for the most part have been fairly stable. McClellan has changed things up a little bit, but he's not making Cal Clifford's on the first line kind of changes. It's not anything that I think is too radical and players who are playing together now have seen a fair amount of time together. And so we're kind of getting to the point where they should start being able to gel more and it will be more of a what you see is what you get kind of scenario and not a time to make excuses in terms 
terms of, oh, like they're just not, they just still don't know how the others play or they're still trying to learn the new system. Uh, eventually you have to admit that that is not the conversation you are supposed to be having, that you have to admit that something else is not working or you can't just rely on, well, it's new, so we don't understand it, so we're bad at it. Uh, that has to change. So McCollum did not seem particularly pleased, unsurprisingly, after this game. Um, again, there is sort of the moral victory aspect of we played really well through the second and third periods, but at the end of the day, you have to show up and be ready from the very first puck drop and not wait until you get in a hole to uh, to figure things out. McClellan also pointed out that a lot of times when they got the puck, they were just sort of standing still looking for the perfect pass up the ice or looking for the perfect thing to do with it. And a lot of times the players they wanted to get the puck to, those guys were already covered. They already had a man on them. They were already not in good positions. And instead of regrouping and moving the puck and, you know, skating somewhere else and changing the situation, um, the Kings just seemed to not really know what to do with it. A lot of important lessons learned, especially in dealing with a team that has some speed, which the Coyotes most certainly do. Um, in that game, the Kings, like I said, they for, again, from a numbers perspective, the, they did great. They had a huge edge in terms of shot attempts, both in terms of all shot attempts and then just unblocked shot attempts. Um, at even strength, they had more high danger chances, which kind of you wouldn't believe it if you actually watched the game. The expected goals for was higher for the Kings. Just everything pointed towards the Kings maybe actually coming away with this one, but they went up against a hot goaltender. The statistics can't really account for things like the speed or aggression of the Coyotes and the fact that the Kings didn't know what to do with it. So not so great. Um, here's a great thing. Uh, Dustin Brown led the Kings with four shots on goal. A whole bunch of guys had three shots next, including Curtis McDermott. Drew Doughty, I just noticed this as I was looking through the stats. Drew Doughty played 29 minutes. Why? Why? I know there was a ton of, of, of special teams time. He played five minutes and 49 seconds on the power play, four minutes and one second shorthanded. There is no reason to play Drew Doughty for 29 minutes. I mean, I, okay, sure, sure. Why not? No one from the forwards did anything completely bonkers. Kopitar played 23 minutes. Alex Iafalo was actually next with uh, just under 21 minutes. Matt Luff got a good amount of ice time, but again, his line of him, Nikolai Pohorkin, and Cal Clifford, they all played the least amount of time. Pohorkin and Luff played just under 11 minutes. Clifford got just under 13 minutes because he also got some special teams time as well. Everything about this game, looking at the numbers, was is just very curious. Um, not necessarily a great night from Jack Campbell. Not necessarily a great night from a lot of players who you expect a lot more of. It's a good learning lesson, and hopefully the Kings will take it to heart and move on with their lives because their next game is against a team that is also very fast. They are playing the Edmonton Oilers on Thursday at home. That game starts at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time and the Oilers we'll talk a little bit more about them tomorrow as we go into the game but I mean welcome to Speedy. If the Kings felt like they couldn't handle the speed of the Coyotes I'm very excited to see exactly how much they can't handle the speed of the Edmonton Oilers. Kings are of course back at home because again like I said this is the stupidest road trip just one game. Two quick Kings news tidbits that came up just as I was wrapping things up. Mario Kempe, first off, is going on unconditional waivers to end his contract with the Kings. He is going to leave the organization and go back to Russia. He is allegedly in talks with Omsk Avangard in the KHL, per reporter Igor Orenko. Pierre Lebrun and Elliot Friedman both reported the 
Kempe to waivers move. It's a little bit disappointing for the Kings who really were looking to have that sort of veteran offense presence in Ontario and also to you know, know that they had a player who they could call up to the NHL to actually play some real minutes. But Kempe may have seen the writing on the wall and decided to go back to Europe. He had 11 points over 16 games with the rain, three goals and eight assists. Got off to a really hot start uh, at the beginning of the season. I think at one point he actually like led the AHL in points, um, like, you know, two games in or something. A sad move to say the least for me personally, because I was living this whole season with the hope of like, Kempe brother content online and will not get that now that he is leaving to go allegedly back to Russia. And then the rain made a move, another goalie swap, bringing Matt Villalta back to the rain in exchange for Cole Keller, who will return to the Fort Wayne Comets. Keller got into one game while he was with the rain. He played in relief of Cal Peterson after he got, after he got pulled fairly recently. Keller got eight minutes and 23 seconds of ice time, made six saves on six shots. So he at least had a shutout in his one bit of AHL experience. That was actually his AHL debut. Keller will go back to Fort Wayne and Matt Villalta will come back to Ontario. While he was with Fort Wayne, Villalta did get into a handful of games. He played in eight games with a 0.864 save percentage and 3.85 goals against average for the ECHL and for Fort Wayne. Honestly, like, that's not too bad. It'll be interesting to see if he gets into any games for the rain. The rain are going out on the road this weekend to Tucson uh, and then have a bunch more games kind of stacked up after that. Peterson has played in every single game for the rain, and you would think that at some time something has to give and that Peterson cannot possibly play the entire season for the Ontario rain. So crossing our fingers, that he gets a break, maybe, and Matt Villalta gets to play instead. So a little bit of goalie swapping from the rain and the Fort Wayne Comets. Fort Wayne also has Dylan Ferguson to contend with. Uh, Fort Wayne, their main AHL affiliation is with the Chicago Wolves and the Vegas Golden Knights. Dylan Ferguson has had spent some time with the AHL because of injuries at the NHL level, which meant that the AHL needed an extra goalie and played some there. But now that he's back with Fort Wayne, I'm also sure that the organization wants him to get sort of the bulk of the starts rather than giving it to a player who is not actually um, a part of the true parent organization affiliation. We'll close out today with a couple of other interesting stories around the hockey world. And first, we're going to start things off with Arthur Kalia. I'm going to check in on him. He has 44 points throughout 23 games. But most importantly, the other day, the Hamilton Bulldogs played the Sudbury Wolves. And if you looked at the final score and thought you were looking at like a football game or something, I would understand because the final score was 11 to 10 in favor of Hamilton. Hamilton at the end of the first period was down three to one. Somehow in the second period, they scored eight goals on 16 shots. Sudbury had three goals in, in that period. This game was just completely bonkers. Like the shots on goal were not wild. 39 for Hamilton, 32 for the Wolves. Aside from that second period for Hamilton where they had 16 shots like there wasn't anything completely crazy Sudbury scored on two of three power plays Hamilton scored on two of five the goal to set it to overtime came with less than 20 seconds on the clock Sudbury tied it up and then the eventual game winner was scored at the very tail end of overtime so this game was completely ridiculous there were fighting penalties there were misconduct penalties there were instigator penalties Quentin Byfield who is going to be a top draft pick in 
the upcoming draft. He had one goal and two assists. Kaliev had two goals and two assists, four-point night for him. How there was an 11-goal game for Hamilton and Kaliev only scored two goals, I honestly don't really know. Only one of those goals came on the power play. He was still a minus one, um, which is honestly not too bad for a game that featured, again, 10 and 11 goals. So junior hockey sure did a thing. Both teams used both of their goalies. Sudbury started with one goalie, switched to the other goalie, then put the original goalie back in for reasons. Nothing, I like, I would love to track down a, a copy of this. I would love to watch this game because it seems completely, completely bonkers. So Arthur Kaliev, both has been doing very well this season, as we all expected and hoped for him to do. Played in one of the wildest games, maybe that will happen all this season in junior hockey. Um, like I said, 44 points for Kaliev through 23 games. He's got 24 goals. His 44 points lead the OHL. He is tied with Quentin Byfield, so that is really good. His 24 goals lead the OHL. He has eight power play goals over the course of the season, which leads the OHL. So just really great to see him continue to blossom and continue to make an impact and become the player that we all really want to see more from. Despite all of that, Hamilton is 10-12-1 on the season, so that could get interesting because they are not particularly um, good. They're fourth in their division out of five teams. Kaliev also leads the OHL in shots on goal. He has 130. The next player down has 101. He is making a big impact there as well. Other interesting stuff and by interesting on this one, I mean gross, is that the other night the Capitals and the Ducks played and there was a fight between Eric Branson and Garnet Hathaway and it turns even uglier than fights usually do because Gudbranson punches Hathaway who turns around and spits on Gudbranson and that's bad and gross and he got a match penalty, was ejected and like I, I don't, does the rule book say anything about spitting? Does it say something about that? Because if it doesn't, it should, because that is incredibly gnarly and do not recommend. There's just no place for that in the game at all. Like fighting is one thing, but spitting on a dude because you're mad at him is extra gross. So we'll see. I don't know that anyone needs to learn the lesson of do not spit on someone, but we'll see what happens with any sort of supplemental discipline for him to further discourage anyone else from doing the same gross thing. In game action tonight, uh, there's a whole slew of matchups, including a little preview of the Edmonton Oilers. They are playing San Jose tonight at 7.30 Pacific time. That game's going to be on NBCSN. So so you can get a little sneak preview of what's going to be coming to town tomorrow. You'll also probably be able to figure out what goalie we're going to face if they are playing tonight as well. They're playing up in San Jose, so you'll also get a look at um, our heated rival to the north. If you're up for some fun and some drama, you can also tune into the Toronto and Vegas game. That one, it's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Plus, if you have any of the NHL streaming packages, you can watch it on there. But Toronto has been really struggling lately to the point where there are a lot of people calling for Mike Babcock's job. The question keeps coming up of like, are the Toronto Maple Leafs too skilled? Which like, that seems like a problem I'd like to have. Like I'll, we can take some of their very skilled players if they don't think they can operate with all of them. But if you want some drama, either way, whoever wins, there's going to be drama. Because if Vegas wins, Toronto's going to continue to melt down. 
because of how much the Leafs have been struggling lately. If Toronto wins, Vegas has also been struggling a lot lately. And although they have put together a few wins recently, they are still losing a lot to bad teams. And if Vegas loses to Toronto, like that's also going to cause drama for Vegas. Uh, Toronto just lost on Saturday 6-1 to to the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are playing without Sidney Crosby and who have a whole like slew of people I've never heard of playing before for them. They lost to Boston before that. They lost to the Islanders and Chicago before that. They lost to Philadelphia before that. Like The last game the Leafs won was actually against Vegas in overtime. So they are really teetering on the edge of that fan base just having a complete meltdown. So I kind of want to see what happens in that game tonight. So that airs tonight as well on ESPN Plus and also wherever you stream your hockey games at. So that's it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more about the Kings, preview the upcoming game game against the Oilers. Yours truly will be on the ground in Los Angeles tomorrow, so we might be able to give you some in-person observations from Kings practice and all sorts of nifty, fun stuff like that. Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks for listening to the show. Glad that you are here. You can follow me on Twitter at Right Said Sarah. That's W-R-I-T-E Said Sarah with an H. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on LA Kings. Give me a follow. Let me know what questions you have, what things you'd like to know a little bit more about. If you want me to talk about like your favorite prospect, I gotcha. Just let me know. You can also, of course, send an email to me, lockedonlakings at gmail.com. Let me know what you are interested in learning about or send me pictures of like your bobblehead collection or your dog. Either way, that's real cool. Lockedonlakings at gmail.com. And of course, make sure you subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. Leave a review, leave a rating, tell people what you like about this show and get your friends on board as well. I'll share the links with your friends. Tell everyone you know all about it so we can all join in the fun every day together on Locked On Los Angeles Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.